With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I mean, universe and stars and aliens and robots and stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what you meant. That's exactly what I meant, because this is the um, outer space edition of the Feminine Critique. Uh, I'm Emily. I'm Christine. Christine, tell the fine folks at home on Earth, presumably, unless this broadcast further, I don't know. Tell them <laughs> what we're going to be covering today. We are going to be covering, um, I have, what is it, 1977's Close of the Third Kind in oh. 1972's Silent Running. Indeed. So a very uh, science fiction-y uh, week, week, if you will, eh? Okay. Yeah, that's new for us. It is. We really have not... Now, I'm a big sci-fi fan. Are you? Uh, yeah, Don't even though I would never... Bring, bring I would a few <laughs> A few dogs didn't hear that. Um, although I wouldn't classify myself as that. Oh, interesting. No, I, I, you know what? B- before we get into this, I have something that's been really bothering me. Uh, I have a day calendar at work, and I, I've talked before, I think, about how angry these make me because they're often uh, incorrect in some of the trivia. Uh-huh. Now, this is a Jeopardy day calendar, which means it's, like, approved by Alex Trebek. Like, it is a, it is a Jeopardy day calendar. And the question the other day, the category was science fiction film taglines. Okay. The clue was, the year was 1990, the tagline was, his story will touch you, but he can't. Hollow Man. 1990. <laughs> oh, Hollow Man can touch you, Christine. I, I stick with my original yeah. guess. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know. What is that? Uh, Edward Scissorhands is apparently a science fiction film. Oh. No. What? Right? It's not a science fiction film. Um... <laughs> got real high pitched again. No, it's not. I, it's not. I don't think so. I, don't I mean, think I'm so. trying to think why anybody would classify, but uh, science science really has, I would say, the least to do with it. Yeah, 
right? There's nothing like, so your definition of science fiction would be what? Um, Anything but Edward Scissorhands? Because that's my definition of Yeah. Fiction. No, like, um, <laughs> what's wrong with me tonight? <laughs> um, like, you know, fiction based in some kind of science speculation yeah. or, you know. Yeah, right? Something like, like totally. that. Like not, oh, I'm a bit surprised and I'm going to put Scissorhands on my robot who's not really a robot, I don't think. It was never really clearly established. Anyway, point being, uh, that made me angry, but I do like science fiction. Okay, um, fair. All right. <laughs> uh, on that note, before we get into these movies, how would we like to talk about what we've been watching? Um, I would like it very much. Do you, do, do you want to start, or do you want me to start? I guess I'll go. I'll go first. Okay, go. Let's switch it up a little bit. Do it. All right, I got a variety on hand pretty big variety. Uh, we will start with 1989's um, Blast from the Past Nostalgia Trip, The Little Mermaid. Okay, what prompted that? Brandon had never seen it, and he rented it, and I could not let that movie air in my apartment without me watching it so I could sing yeah. along to all the songs. It was a really weird watch, because it's been a long time since I've seen it, and since I have probably honed my feminist sensibilities a little more. <laughs> because when I was a kid, this was my Disney movie. This is the Yeah, movie me that, too, man. Yeah, I mean, you, you knew the songs when you were like nine, right? It was every day I either watched this or Labyrinth. I like to think they, they balanced each other out. I can see that. Yeah, there's sidekicks in both and uh-huh. such. Uh, I, I mean, I adored this movie when I was a kid. I know all the words to the songs, even watching it now. It wasn't just the songs I knew. I knew a delivery of every line. Yep. Uh, But that being said, it's also a little problematic because, like, she's 16 and just kind of falls in love with this dude, so she gives up everything. uh, And he's so smart that he doesn't realize it's her. Um, And then she just marries him and leaves her family, even though she's 16. Uh, If you want, so my point being, if you watch it as a 31 year old woman, you might have some problems with it that you didn't really notice when you were eight. Um, I can imagine, yeah. Yeah, but but looking past that, and if you can kind of, like, swallow that, it's still a beautiful movie. The songs are are great, because it's Alan Menken and Howard mm-hmm. Ashman. And it's funny. It's it, it's still a really good watch. It's just, if I had a daughter and I watched that with her, we would have a long discussion about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And As well, I think it paper. should be. Yeah, yeah. you got to watch it with respons- responsibility, if you will. Oh, uh, following that with a movie that is probably as opposite to that as you can go, maybe. would Or maybe not. This would be Pierre Pasolini. Um, I watched... I guess I've been on a Pasolini kick or a, just trying to watch some more of his stuff. So this was Teorama or Theorama or something that I can't pronounce and I don't think they ever say it in the movie, so who knows? I could be saying it <laughs> as right as I want to be for all I know. Uh, Terrence Stamp is in this one. Ooh. Yeah, looking looking mighty fun, too. And speaking I imagine Italian. so. Whether he was dubbed, I don't know. It was Terrence Stamp speaking Italian, so I was. I was. I was a happy. <laughs> you weren't. Go, you weren't going to question it. No, 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 no. Uh, this is weird. It's a little bit uh, of a Rasputin tale, but um, more kind of ethereal and strange, as you would expect from Pasolini. Uh, it's out there on Netflix. I watched it because it was a long wait, so I kind of had a fear that it may eventually go away because that happens sometimes yeah. with long waits. Uh, so, you know, if you're a Pasolini fan or curious person, why not keep going with it? Uh, moving to something very different, 1999's Idle Hands. I haven't seen that in forever. I had just never seen it. and I know Oh, really? People, yeah, never. I know some people who really dig it and are kind of consider it like 
just a, a very, I guess, nostalgic comedy. And it's so it's really 90s. good. It was good. I really yeah. enjoyed it. It's really funny. Uh, Vivica A. Fox is a druidic priestess. And that in itself is really amusing. Everything about this is just 1990s. You have Jack Nos- Noseworthy in it. And he was the same character in every 90s film ever. Uh, but it, it was a good time. Seth Green is doing his Seth Green thing. Yeah, uh, that's back when I still liked him. Oh, you don't like him now? Oh, he's, anno- he's annoying. I mean, I don't... I have kind of a distaste for anything kind of Family Guy related, so... Me too. Yeah, it's probably part of it now, but... Uh, Idle Hands, if you've never seen it, I, and you're kind of of our generation, I guess, I think um, people would find it really enjoyable, because it's a dumb stoner comedy that's really affectionate to horror movies. You didn't stream it, did you? No, I rented it. Oh, okay, Netflix. I was going to say, I would stream the hell out of that if it was somewhere. No, but... and the DVD, I think, has a lot of features on it. I mean, it's, again, one of those old-school, old-menu DVDs, but it had deleted scenes and a making of, and, and again, everything's really 90s, so it's really entertaining for that. That sounds, that sounds pretty amazing. Yeah, I would check it out. <laughs> um, okay, because I like to keep things eclectic, if you will, I followed Idle Hands Up with um, a slightly different movie made for a different audience called 12 Years a Slave. <gasps> Did you like it? I haven't seen it. Oh. It is a very good movie. Um, did it make you sad? It did. Um, I mean, it's it's outstandingly done. I this is the first Stephen McQueen, Steve McQueen movie. I've yes, seen. yes. Uh, I've been reluctant <laughs> to watch his movies because they just seem really depressing. Um, certainly are. Yeah, and this one is the only thing was I because knowing that it's based on a book written by the main character, I knew that he eventually. Spoiler alert, but not really. I knew that he eventually gets free. Uh, which is very useful to watch it knowing that just because it kind of keeps anytime things are getting too dark, you're like, no, no, but he's going to get away. It's going to be okay. Eventually. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's excellent. It's very well acted across the board. It's beautifully shot. Um, Everything about it's very good. It is a very good movie. How's my boyfriend? Your boyfriend is, oh, he's a dick. (laughs) Yeah. Such a dick in this. Awesome. Yeah, you, you'll you'll find him very attractive in this because did, you're weird like that. I am a weirdo, thank you. Um, did you get the a disc? Did you rent it or? Um, yeah. Did you go see it? No, oh, I have a disc. Okay, no, disc. Wink, wink. Yeah. Okay, no, I need to see it. I keep putting it off. I'm really glad that you liked it, though. I did. It's very good. I will say, um, <clears throat> I had heard so much about this when it came out of people passing out when they watched it and. Just the the like the violence being so terrible for so many people that they couldn't watch it. Uh, I will say, and this does not say anything good about me, but having been somebody who's watched my share of exploitation films, including like things like Mendingo, where there are exploitation films about slavery and are mm-hmm. really brutal, I will say this movie wasn't as it's really rough. Don't get me wrong; like it's really, really visceral and they don't sugarcoat anything and this is an excellent movie about slavery that's not usually shown that way but i will say like i was expecting some of the more shocking things to be more shocking just because i've sadly been um oh yeah we've seen we're desensitized to a degree yeah Yeah. and it affected me don't get me wrong it affected me but uh yeah it's i think people who are going into it from like our side of genre film uh, it's a different experience than maybe something else. You know, I was just talking about something in a similar vein to this. Um, and correct me if I'm I'm going in a, in a bad direction with this, but um, 
Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, the original one. I have not seen um, either one yet. Well, the original one's pretty... I mean, I like that movie. I don't like the remake. Um, but Because we of Taste Mara. Yeah, and it just wasn't that good. But uh, <laughs> we, we screened it at my theater when I was still in New York. And I guess for some reason, most of the people that were reading that book were like a little bit older and in New York seemed to be a little more well-to-do. It was a very popular book with the mainstream. It really was. So when it started playing, um, that was who was going to see it. And there is a pretty brutal rape in it. Mm -hmm. But not that brutal that I was like, oh, this rape is... brutal if you're us. Yeah, kind of, because people were getting up and leaving the theater. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, God, this rape scene is going to blow my fucking mind. Like, I'm going to tear my eyes out after I see this. And then I saw it, and I was like, oh, yeah. And that's, when, and that's when I realized there was something different about me. It was like me. a PG-rated rape scene. I don't know. In the realm of rape scenes. I, I might, might have actually said, that wasn't that bad. And, <laughs> and that's kind of awful. Yeah. So if that's kind of what you mean, then absolutely. I understand. Yeah, absolutely. We are kindred spirits indeed. <laughs> Uh, moving on, this is uh, the newest movie now on my letterbox. It would be li a Lifetime Original, Flowers oh. in the Attic. Uh, okay, how was it? Uh, well, I have to, I have to give a disclaimer because I think if you had watched it, knowing like never having seen anything about it, or maybe only having seen the other film, you'd be like, oh no, it's kind of it was an okay Lifetime movie. But if you've read the book, you're like, oh my fucking god, it's amazing. Uh, I was a big V.C. Andrews fan when I was younger. I, by a big fan, I mean I read everything she and then her ghostwriter, Andrew Niederman, mm -hmm. for, like, a good ten years. And this uh, adaptation, it's, I mean, it does, it, the look is great. They set it in the time the book is set, which is, I think, like, 1958 or so. Uh, and they nail that look. It, it's a, the mansion looks exactly how you would have pictured it when you were reading the book. Um, Kiernan Sherpa, whatever her name is from Mad Men, is, is a very good as Carrie or Kathy. Um, Ellen Burstyn is a fuck. I mean, she's Ellen Burstyn. You know she's going to be good. Mm -hmm. But you compare her take on that character to Louise Fletcher, and Louise Fletcher is a great actress. But in the original 1986 87 film, which is terrible, it's just such a one note, ridiculous character. And in this movie, even without them necessarily giving Ellen Burstyn much as far as um, dialogue or dialogue about her where you know much about her, you see so many layers to her performance just in her eyes and her reaction. Uh, unfortunately, Heather Graham does not have that ability because Heather Graham... Oh, I didn't even know she was in that. Yeah, did you know Heather Graham really can't act? Um, yes, but I'm going to also add that she can be really funny when she, she wants to be. be. And so she, I yeah. forgive her for that. Yeah, she's very good in Arrested Development. She was very good in Boogie Nights. She is adorable, and she looked perfect as uh, Corinne Dollinger, or, or Corinne Foxworth, depending on how you want to look at it. She just looked so good. I just wish somebody else could have dubbed her dialogue. Because hmm. her problem isn't necessarily acting. It's really that she can't speak believably. And I, I'm seriously, if somebody had dubbed her dialogue, it would have been fine. Um, that's really funny that's a good criticism <laughs> I, I mean every word of it um so mixed reaction on it i think if you're a fan of a book and i know um i'm if uh if barb and some other folks who are fans of the books are have not watched it yet definitely watch it because you'll get something out of it if you're not a fan of the book i don't know how effective it will be um but that would that would be my take there 
uh, a movie that I was really looking forward to that I got for Christmas and it was time to finally watch it and I was really nervous to watch it because I really wanted to like it and I would have been really sad if I didn't like it. Jesus, what is this? Curse of Chucky! Alright. Alright. And? I enjoyed it quite a bit. Cool. It was not to me um, quite at, like a seed is, a seed of Chucky is probably my favorite as far as like just being something that's so fun and so different. Mm -hmm. Uh, Curse of Chucky, it's interesting because they go for a really different tone. They make it a, a straighter horror movie um but there's still humor and kind of winking but it is kind of plays out more like a horror movie than the last few did um but then it does something really cool with the ending that keeps going and you have to watch the after the credits to see where it ends up oh really um, yeah you <laughs> really have to watch after the credits okay you really do oh no no anyway well, uh Letting him in movies again? <laughs> yeah, you just everybody listen. Trust me, just watch to the end of the credits. Oh my! I, I think I might have to watch just yeah, for that. You, you think I could find the after credit sequence on YouTube? I'll look later. That's possible, actually. Um, it's really disturbing and fascinating how much because Fiona Dorif, Brad Dorif's daughter, plays the lead, and she's actually she's quite good. She's very likable. She's she's believable. It's really creepy how much she looks like Brad Dorif, but but that she's still attractive. As a woman, well, he's he's really hot. Oh, I love Brad Dorf. I'm attracted so... to him, but he's not conventionally attractive at all. All right, but you put his crazy face on a woman, and like pretty good looking. Uh, but I, I mean, I would I would bang Brad Dorf before I bang Fiona Dorf. But that's oh, and I have to Google this Brad now. <laughs> uh, you'll you'll know if you, if you watch um, if you as soon as you see her, you would know who she is because she has his eyes, and his eyes are quite scary. And yeah, there she is. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything. Not on the episode of Law and Order SVU where Elliot's daughter is uh, getting in trouble because she's not taking her meds and turns out she's bipolar and all this stuff. No, not that episode. Maybe. I don't know. I, I really fell off with that show. God, you shame me. Um, so Curse of Chucky, I enjoyed. Uh, again, going from one extreme to the other, 1937's A Day at the Races. The Marx Brother movie. Oh, okay. Very enjoyable. My second Marx Brother movie. I laughed out loud for most of it, uh, including the long musical sequences that kind of came out of nowhere, but kind of worked. Um, there's a little bit of blackface, but it's it's not really offensive blackface. Uh -huh. uh, you know, so uh, that, that was that. Um, up next was, and my last thing was 1980-somethings. Uh, watch this half of it at the gym. This is a good movie to watch at the gym. Uh, good old Nighthawk starring Sylvester Stallone. Uh, yeah. Have you ever seen it? I have. Doesn't sound like you're a fan. I mean, no, it is what it is. Right? Oh, it is. oh, totally. <laughs> like, you know, every, there is every cop cliche, the whole, like, you know, uh, it's not worth it, is said, like, 20 times throughout the movie. Yeah. Um, it's shocking that there's no scene of uh, Sylvester Stallone's chief taking away his gun and then giving it back to him. <laughs> and, and giving it more. back. Yeah, it's shocking that those things aren't <clears> on there. But you do also have Rudger Hauer being, like, sly and creepy and sexy. and all that. That's why I originally watched it. Yeah, and he's... So. Anytime you have Rucker Hour in something, it's going to be interesting. Um, and then I finally caught up on PLL, so Pretty Little Liars Me, I'm ready. Oh, so jealous. Mm. You're still behind? Um, I haven't seen any of season four. Oh. Well, okay. yeah, I wasn't really in a position to, like, I seek it out and yeah. stuff. It and was hard for me until very recently when they aired a marathon on. Yeah, I, I think, I mean, eventually they'll all stream, but um, I, I need it. I, know. I absolutely I know. need it. I hear you. Uh, so that's my stuff. What have you been watching? 
Not bad. Um, well, I've tried to up the quality of what I'm watching. <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, no. No, I don't. <laughs> no, it worked. Me. You know, anybody who knows me in my personal life knows that the last couple months haven't been the easiest for me. So I really feel like I was retreating into a land of either things that I've already seen or things that I didn't have to think during. Like paranormal activity. Yeah, like, let me watch the stupidest or most terrible thing so I won't have any emotions. Okay, I hear you. We really turned a page this month. Uh, <laughs> I watched the the Bronies documentary. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, and I'm, you know what a brony is? Um, yeah, I used to assume. I used <laughs> to think that the whole, I, like, I understood there was a big, like, My Little Pony subculture. Uh -huh. I thought it was a sex thing. Yeah, everybody fucking says that. Yeah, because it's the way it's, it sounded like it was like, I guess I was thinking of them as furries. Yep, I, everybody says and that. That's interesting. nothing wrong with that. But um, very shocked to learn that, no, it's just about My Little Pony having really strong characters, right? Um, yeah, guys r really like yeah. the show. I mean, it's a whole thing. This documentary is actually pretty good. Um, it's... It's interesting. It raises some interesting points, of, and it and it shows like groups of like boys, basically coming out to their families that they like My Little Pony, Aww. and it's really disconcerting. And I, while I was watching it, I tweeted something similar. It's upsetting that we live in a society where boys are afraid to let it be known that they like something that celebrates love and friendship. Yeah, that is. It kind of it got me a little enraged. I mean, but it all it all it's it's got a good message and it's very interesting. So I recommend that it's streaming. That's interesting. Um, yeah, that sounds like it would be very frustrating, but maybe in the end uplifting. It definitely was because there's like there's some really endearing char like characters, some endearing men they talk to. Yeah. yeah, that and you're like, oh, okay, well, you're adorable, and I want to take you home. <laughs> so whatever makes you happy. One day you'll you'll make someone happy. Yeah, it's really really cute. It isn't. It isn't sad, and it's not. You know, um, remember the, the "I Think We're Alone Now" that documentary? Yeah. How I that was kind of it out because it got really depressing. It's kind of depressing and exploitative. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is not that. Okay. Um, it's so. It's I, I recommend it. Um, I haven't seen the Great Muppet Caper in like I don't know ten years, okay. so I decided to watch that. Um, it's the best movie ever. <laughs> yeah, my That's heart will all. always go first to Muppet Take Manhattan because I just watched it so much as a kid. But Great Muppet Caper is brilliant. I think so. I kind of feel similarly to you. Um, it was posed to me that Great Muppet Caper was the girls' Muppet movie. I had never heard it referred to as that before. Huh. Like, oh, because, you know, fashion designer and... Jules and like this really intense story about a heist and there's a whole underwater thing and the synchronized swimming and all the dresses and I was like really is it the girl I, I wouldn't I mean I will say it's probably the best movie for Miss Piggy yeah oh she's super likable in it she's not like a jerk or anything oh, she gets yeah she gets the best story she's sympathetic in it she gets the best costumes of any movie I think um but huh I'd never heard that interesting yeah so I don't know maybe it's because we are girls <laughs> so if anybody has any insight on that please i welcome you to say something on facebook yeah. about it like are you a boy and you felt like you couldn't connect with the great muppet caper <laughs> um i'm really interested um because it's a boy who said that to me so i was like maybe i'm just not aware i've never <laughs> thought of it that way but I'm, me going neither. To, I'm gonna think on this <clears throat> i then watched hansel and gretel 
because uh, it is streaming everywhere. Is this the Jeremy Renner one? Yep. I, I saw it in the theater. I remember year. you telling me to see it, I think. I liked it a lot when okay. I saw it. I liked it a lot on rewatch. Um, it is streaming on Amazon Prime. It is streaming on Netflix. Okay. You should watch it. All right. I just might. Sounds, I, sounds like my kind of thing. It's, it's, it, I think it's good. Um, speaking of Amazon Prime, I recently got Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know if you have it. I do, but I find it really hard to use because I normally would watch something like that while I'm commuting on the bus. Mm-hmm. But you can't really stream things that way. I find it really hard to use, too. Yeah. Um, not just for that reason, but because I find that the site is hard to navigate. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just not very user-friendly for me. Yeah. Um, and I also find that there are a lot of repeats between Netflix, Netflix and, yeah. But I got it for the shipping as well, so I figured I... It, that's, yeah, that's, at this point, I had gotten it as a trial and forgot to cancel it. Yeah. But I probably made up for it in so many things shipping in me. Yeah buying extra things to reach $25. Yep, and plus they raised it now to like 30 or 35 right? Yeah. Probably just because they'd rather have people do Prime. Yeah, so that's why I got it, but eh. Stardust was streaming on there, and it's not streaming on Netflix, I don't think, and that's the um, Neil Gaiman movie oh, with Claire, okay. Claire Danes, and yeah, I really wanted to see it when it came out, you know, like seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I finally watched it, it's really good. It's the one that has the offensive performance um by robert de niro in it where he's like playing gay <laughs> nice. I, yeah, I don't like Neil gaiman but claire danes is adorable in it so if you have amazon prime and you haven't watched it it's worth sitting for if you can figure out how to stream it though yeah it, it'll take you 25 minutes right. but um i watched this is a documentary also streaming on netflix it is called blackfish a lot of people have been talking oh, about it i don't think i can watch it it's really good but is it really like oh poor? Animals? It didn't. It didn't upset me as much as I thought it would. Huh, okay. They take a stance which I didn't think they would. I thought it was just going to be information, mm. and this was really like, hey, somebody fucked up, and we're going to tell you. The world sucks. Basically, it was an anti Sea World yeah. movie. I didn't. I really didn't expect that. So I was. I thought that was good. Will I still be um, able to enjoy Jaws three? Uh, yeah, even more so. Okay. <laughs> um. It might upset you, to be honest. Yeah. It, it really didn't upset me as much. I, I think because hate animals. I do. I um, I murder them for sport and don't eat them. <laughs> I want to be as insulting as possible to their corpses. Um, that is a good way to do it. Well, you know, waste the whole animal. That's what I always say. Uh, but I had, I really kind of like you thought it was going to destroy me. Yeah. So I think maybe because my expectations were there, it uh-huh. didn't upset me that much. Um, I watched The Ninth Gate, which is also streaming on Netflix. Oh, yeah, I've, I put that on my queue because I've never seen it. Oh, see, okay, I used to see it all the time when it would come on cable, and I didn't really understand it. Spoiler, I still didn't really understand it, and I had to ask the internet what was going on. Did the Appar- internet tell you, and do you believe them? or? You Apparently a lot of people were like, what are you looking at? Um, I like it. It's got an interesting tone. Um, it looks kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um... I, I would recommend it. It's, okay. it's interesting. Um, I watched BlackRock. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And did a review for I Am Writing I for a Web again. Yeah. I did a review for BlackRock. I'll post it in the forum thingy, <clears throat> um, which I liked and which I recommend to you. Yeah, I'm going to watch it. I just, I really have a feeling it's going to come on Instant Watch. It's like, yeah, yeah, in a movie. So I'm not, honestly, I don't get the disc. I was waiting for it. And I kept not putting my disc up to the top. Yeah. Because um, I was waiting for it, but it never did. Um, and then I watched 
Um, I got the Steel Book of Total Recall, yeah. and I watched that. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen Total Recall in a while either. Oh, so good! It's so good, and it looked beautiful. Yep, it looked yep. so good, and with some interesting Verhoeven. Not commentary. I mean, I guess there's a commentary on it, but that's not what I watched. Some like he was talking about making the miniatures and stuff. It was interesting. The effects of that movie hold up so well. I think they they, they shockingly do. Yeah. I didn't expect that. It was really really good. Some so of the first uses of, of CGI and practical effects too. I think there's yeah. CGI in there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's that, that two weeks is. That, yeah. That, there's that part is the X-ray thing too mm-hmm. looked really really good. I forgot that. That even happened. Yeah, every time yeah. I walk through an airport scanner, I always think of Total Recall. Anytime I do anything, I think of Total Recall. Or The Running Man. Uh, Either one is just constantly... I know. It was. I, I really want to watch The Running Man, but I still don't own it. Oh. Yeah. I need to buy it. Yeah, you do. It's probably like five bucks on Blu-ray. Just do it. <sighs> I mean, Before they remake it and give it a stupid cover. <laughs> that's so true. That, you know. I know. All right, and that's it for me. All right, so a good batch by both of us, I'd say, a nice variety. Yeah. I think that we weren't, I, well, me, and by we, I mean me. You approved. <laughs> I'm going to say, you, you <laughs> ended it. with Total Recall, so you can't, you can't get much better than that. Thank you very it's much. I did cheaper, a little curtsy. Yes, but really, you can't get much better. Uh, on that note, we're going to take a break. Do you, Which one do you want to do first? want to go chronologically? We should go chronologically. Okay, we'll be right back to talk about Bruce Stern and some adorable robots in <laughs> running. Maybe he's right. Maybe there is something the matter with me. <laughs> I just don't see how a world that makes such wonderful things could be bad. Look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you think I'm the girl, the girl who has everything? Look at this trove, treasures untold. How many wonders can one cavern hold? Looking around here, you think, sure, she's got everything. I've got gadgets and gizmos aplenty. I've got who's it's and what's it's galore. You want thingamabobs? I got 20. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. I want to be where the people are. We are back to talk about 1972's Silent Running. Yeah. Now, you had never seen this. I had never seen this. I had never seen it. I knew a little bit about it. What Now, how did you know of it? Somebody wrote something um, for it in the magazine that I used to have. Okay. I <laughs> um, kind of in the in the and I really should have dug out this article. And I hate that I don't know who wrote it, and I hate that I can't properly say what it was about. But it was basically like, a, hey, we threw a bunch of money in the early '70s at dudes to make movies, so that like weird sci-fi or like you know alter like counterculture movies mm-hmm. um and and th- this was amongst those yeah it was a, i think this might have been some imdb trivia that after easy rider did so yep. well it was universal studios um they were like okay let's have more like young filmmakers make these like indie movies and see what happens mm-hmm. um and that included uh the titles that imdb listed as being part of that were the hired hand the last movie taking off and american graffiti Yep, I, yeah, that is exactly what that article was about. Okay, 
Um, I had heard of this movie in three different ways, I think. One being um, our dear friend Randy, I know is a huge fan of it. One being um, my dad is a sci-fi guy, and I know he's talked about it before. And the last being um, my favorite movie of, I'd say, the last uh, 15 years easily. My favorite movies of this millennium uh, has been a little Pixar movie called WALL-E, which is just an excellent movie no matter what age you are. And I remember when I was both reading about it and listening to the commentary, they talk a lot about Silent Running being influential on it. And watching this movie, I'm like, the entire time it was really distracting. I'm like, it's just like WALL-E! And also like Mystery Science Theater 3000! Both of which were definitely heavily influenced by this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really most of what I knew about it. Weird uh, credits now. We've got... Um, the director, we have a big connection between our new two movies. I don't know if you caught it. Um, yeah, the, the director is the visual effects. Yep, yep. Yeah. Douglas um, Trumbull. Yep. Yep, did, oversaw the visual effects on our next movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. This was really his only feature film as a director. He did um, a lot of other shorts and worked very steadily in like every sci-fi movie ever made with big effects. <laughs> so he did fine for himself, but this was really his only directorial uh, big thing, I guess. And the writing staff is also quite interesting because you have uh, Michael Simino, Simino, who later, a couple years later, would go on to make a little movie called The Deer Hunter. Oh, see, I didn't even look at the people who wrote it. I only, you know, I hadn't caught his name. I caught the other name on there, which is Steve Bochco, uh-huh. who was a big, t- who um, I believe is Hill Street Blues. No, Hill yeah, Street he's... Blue. Yeah. TV dude, man. I didn't even see that. Yep. So interesting. Um, and I don't know the history of the screenplay because there's there's one other guy listed on there, um, Derek Washburn, who I think, um, I guess he worked with Michael Simino because he also did the screenplay and story for The Deer Hunter. So just an odd kind of background, eclectic mix of people on this movie. Uh, give us the synopsis, Christine. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, <clears throat> well, I had thought of a real one, and then I wanted to go with the fake one okay. that um, is as follows. Brewster gets really intense about some plants. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is really what this movie is about. You, you don't fuck with Brewster and plants. Um, all right. So in the future, there's apparently um, no, like... Plant life. Plant life, life, I really. guess. Is there animals? I don't know. I don't know. There's no yeah. plants on Earth. Um, I don't really know how that works at, because like, we with the atmosphere and stuff. Breathe. Yeah, but uh, well, they say that, though. Like, <laughs> it's always 72 degrees and it never rains. Like, it almost seems like Earth is kind of like in its own protective artificial bubble now. Mm, and just, uh, you know what? I don't need I don't need all the background. Just give me what just we're going for. And, that's- and his robots. They, they shot some plants up into space, and there's all these, like, space stations that have these big domes filled with plants and animals, and, um, Bruce Cern watches over one of them, he's, like, the head dude, and he's in the space station with three other dudes that don't really give a shit about the plants, and they get the order to get rid of the plants and come back to Earth, and he flips the fuck out. Fuck yeah, he does. And then hangs out with some robots. The end. It all ends happily from there. Kind of. To some. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, the we never see Earth. We, are, we hear about Earth, and we hear the way Bruce Stern talks about it and how it's become this very... Uh, and I feel like they do... A, a, even though we don't really understand 
because it's never given why this happened and what brought this all about really but i feel like we're given enough to know that the idea of it being 72 degrees on earth at all times is really horrifying yeah um my first thought was huh sounds pleasant but <laughs> well, clearly it's not as it's 10 degrees outside in new york is like i'll take that but <laughs> well yeah but i mean the way this movie opens like the opening credits are just close-ups of like adorable squirrels and plants growing and turtles moving and so I, this even though the um the nature we see is this artificially kind of tempered nature because it's a little forest enclosed in a big dome as a spaceship it's there's enough that like i can understand like i'm totally on bruce stern's side for this movie mm-hmm. uh and the nature is shown like so lovingly and beautifully that even before joan Baez is really folksy i love the earth music kicks in yeah uh, i'm on board with him mm. you want to talk about joan Baez is really folksy i love the earth music um, I think to address that addresses the larger issue. So I don't know if you want me to do that now or you want me to wait. Is the larger issue that, man, it's the 70s? Um, the larger issue is that, man, it's the 70s. It's also like, holy heavy hand, Batman. Yeah. Um, it was really, really in my face <laughs> with a lot of stuff. Um, I wish that it hadn't have done that. Okay. There were certain av- certain aspects of in this film that worked real well for me, and there were certain aspects that didn't. Um, that being said, I would say the first two-thirds of the movie didn't really work, and I really liked the last third. So the first two-thirds meaning when he kind of has to deal with the other guys on the plane? On the spaceship. Yeah, yeah, don't... Uh, I was like, okay, I'm kind of into... Okay, let's just say the middle of this movie. <laughs> I was kind of okay with that, and then, then when he freaks out, there's some freaking out that I didn't really enjoy... That I was just kind of like, and that's when, for me, it got really heavy-handed. Um, but then, it, towards the end, he just kind of, he kind of is just kind of crazy, and he, he hangs out with robots, which I'm into. <laughs> Who is? And, the, and then I also feel like there was some guilt for, you know, what he does is to take care of this dome full of plants, which I also agree with that choice. He chose the dome full of plants over human life. Which is kind of interesting. I just feel like in the middle, it was it kind of stalled out for me a little bit, and that's when it got like really heavy-handed with like the Earth is the most important things and <laughs> plants are the most important things. Stop hitting me over the head with it. Yeah, I can see that. There's something uh, really horrifying about being ordered to just blow up uh, the ecosystems you've been cultivating for. Oh many yeah, years. totally. And even the the man giving the orders kind of says, like, you know, may God have mercy on our souls or something, where it's... Because they're never given any explanation, and the rest of the guys are like, it's fine, dude, we get to go home. But there is just something really wrong about, like, no, 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 you you can't just blow up the squirrels. We just had a close-up. They're really cute. You can't do Mm -hmm. that. Um, But, yeah, there is also then Joan Baez's music and Bruce Stern having to kind of give these long, impassioned don't you understand what it means to blow up this and this and this? Um, so it is, it is very heavy handed and it, I, I too wish it had let things be said by cinema rather than dialogue. Uh-huh. Um, cause I, and not to compare it to Wally, but I'm going to compare it to Wally, which it, you think of the first 45 minutes of Wally, which are silent, which, it's just music and a little robot moving around and it's you get everything 
And granted, there is a scene where they kind of explain it to you because the movie is aimed at, you know, kids. Um, but so you do get that, you know, everything that's going on in this world and what it means without them having to say, we should have taken better care of the earth. And, you know, this movie, which um, in fairness is considered one of the first environmental films. So I guess this was a message that was not uh, necessarily fresh or clear in mm -hmm. people's minds when they were going. To like school. there was no need for subtlety? I guess so. I, I could say, okay, if you, if you, you when, put it like that. Yeah, I mean, it's 72, so it's a right around the time, I think, when, um, you know, you have, you have the hippies doing the thing with the earth. But I think you do have, this is around the time when, what year was the crying Indian? Do you know? Oh, God. Is that appropriate to Google? Yes, yes. <laughs> what crying year? Crying Indian. Crying Indian year. Uh, is, two, not 2007. Uh, Keep America Beautiful. It's a little no. late. Oh, bam. Keep America Beautiful's campaign, 1971. Okay. So, yeah, this is right around the time when this is the new issue, if you will. And it's an important issue. It's an issue that we should have always been grappling with and we're grappling with now. Um, but I guess I can forgive the film some of its heavy-handedness just because I think it really did have to say to people, hey, guess what? The Earth is really important and okay. blow it up. Well, I, that, there you go. I'm suffering from being of a different timeism where I could have used a little bit more subtlety. Yeah. But that being said, I agree that once it's kind of just Bruce Dern hanging out with robots, uh, and I would say the same thing again for Wally, where your opening when you just have robots is so affecting. Mm -hmm. and, and that, and Bruce Dern is a good actor, certainly, uh, that you, it, it, it became, on one hand, this movie has such an odd pacing to it that I kind of got bored, but I was also really fascinated somehow. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was in it with, with the robots, with Huey and Dewey. And their cute little duck feet. Because they had duck feet. That's why you named them Huey and Dewey. I mean, they were very cute. Um, uh, I, I will also say that Bruce Dern is amazing in this. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe I, it could use with a rewatch now that I kind of know what to expect. Because mm -hmm. I really expected this, like, you know, it, to, drawing parallels and not, but that's not what it was. Instead, they just kind of look at you and say, by the way, it's important that we protect the Earth. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um... It's, it's a really interesting and odd movie in a lot of ways. I mean, I, can't, I can think of movie like I said, Wally obviously reminds me of it. Uh, Moon is another one that you could definitely see, like, how probably... Um, oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. What's his face? Um, the Goblin King's son definitely watched this movie and probably took a lot in it from there. But when you think about the Bruce Dern character... Where where he begins, you know, just kind of very kind of weird weird guy in space with these other guys who doesn't fit in, uh, and where he ends, it gets pretty fucking dark. Yeah, this movie. Do you know what it was rated? G. It was rated G. I saw that, and I was yeah. like, nothing is rated G anymore. <laughs> right? I don't think Wally was rated G. I think that was PG. But Bruce Stern, you know, killing a man with his bare hands and blowing people up. That's that's you know. That's for all audiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really like the fact that it, the, that American Airlines clearly like gave money to this movie and um, or gave their uh, sponsorship to it and said, yeah, use our name. 
as the organization that instructs its uh, employees to destroy all nature. Yeah, um, there was also Coca-Cola stuff too. There was a lot of Coca-Cola stuff. Um, yeah, it was interesting. It was that kind of advertising where you're like, did, did you have to tell your the companies what you were doing with their product or, or mm-hmm. no? Okay, right, sure. Um, teaching robots to play cards is really cute. Yeah, that was really cute. That was one of my favorite scenes, I yeah. I think. Well, just whenever um, he's, when he bonds with the robots. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, the robots are adorable. I know I've said this a couple times, but seriously, folks, they don't, they have, they don't really have arms. They just, they're kind of, uh, they reminded me, aside from reminding me of the character of Mo in Wally, they reminded me of, um, the little furry things in Rainbow Bright. Oh, yeah. Right? But they have the same uh, yeah, what are the, structure. Are they, those called sprites or something? I don't Maybe, know what they're called. Yeah. But they, like, kind of wobble back and forth. Yeah, and their legs out. have a similar quality. Yeah, they're little duck legs. And they're just adorable. And so Bruce Dern kind of befriending them and help, like, kind of giving them personality. Yeah. Because they really are. They're drones. They're not even, uh, like, necessarily robots that are thinking. They're They're just you know, things that you're supposed to have do your dirty work. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's able, you know, he gives them names once it's just him and the robots. And he, like, talks to them and treats them in the way that, I mean, I would if I was second space with robots. Um, But that's, to me, like, the the best part of the movie is him interacting with these and being able to carry it off. I can can agree with that. Them playing poker was, was if we were doing Gentleman's Guide shit and I had to pick, you know, my make or break break that, yeah, it would be that. Uh, and again, that was, and watching this, I kept thinking, I'm like, the spaceships look so much like the satellite of love on Mr. Science Theater 3000. Uh-huh. And then it didn't dawn on me until afterwards. I'm like, oh yeah. And both are about a dude alone in space who like makes robots or redesigns robots to keep him company. Yep. Yeah. So very ex- incredibly influential film, if you will. Um, I've never seen Wally. <gasps> so... I don't know about all these things you okay. say, but I'll take oh your word. You really haven't seen it? No. You would love it. Yeah, it would make me sad. No, but it's sad in a happy way. It's oh, It will gosh. never do like what it you. No, you know how okay. Up like, takes your heart and rips it and steps on it and then glues it back together? And We've all heard the Up story. think that it's like going to hold, it steps on it again, and you realize the glue wasn't dry yet, and then eventually it glues it back together, but deep down you always know it's going to break again. I've never seen Up other than the first 12 minutes where I almost died. Yeah. So Um, I don't know, maybe Up does get better. Oh, it does, but then it it has this one moment where it just rips your heart out again. No, thank you. In in a happy way, but it's just really, really intense. Um, But no, but Wally, I don't think, ever gets... um, I see... That's a, we we do have to cover Wally at some point in time because it I don't know if y'all have the same th- emotion with it that I did but I can't remember a time that I was so like emotionally invested in a movie and I was crying out of like happiness and wonderment. Oh jeez. I know. Okay, if you pick it, man, I'll watch it. Okay, I will pick it down the line. Let's give ourselves a little bit of space so we're not just we don't just become the robot podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that can be our offshoot. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll, we will get to it, but I will definitely make you watch quality. And I think, I definitely think I appreciated this movie more having seen its influence in so many other movies uh-huh. that I really love. Oh, spoiler alert. That can be said for our next movie for me. 
Ah, okay, okay, I can see that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's one that is really worth, uh, wa- it's, and it's short, too. It's only 90 minutes, I think. And it, in a way, it, it feels, and this is, I think, a case where maybe Douglas Trumbull not being really, like, an experienced director shows, because I feel like it both feels longer than 90 minutes, but feels like um, it should have, uh, what to say? It, this kind of movie feels like it should be a bigger movie, but it does drag, even at 90 minutes. Yes, it does. Yeah, I think the pacing is a big issue, and that is something that comes with uh, more experience behind the director's chair. Uh-huh. I watched this movie before I watched Close Encounters, and Close Encounters zips by yeah, Close compared Encounters, to this. Which is a, a, it's much longer. Whole, yeah, 45 minutes longer. Yeah. Two hours, 15 minutes. Uh, and it does. And that is that is a huge case where you can see the pacing and how the director knows how to keep it moving. With this one, I mean, you have stuff that's really interesting, but it's the structure is so odd. And it's I guess it's like a kind of a straight three-act structure. Um, but it just feels really uneven in so many ways. Uh-huh. So it's it's that's definitely a fault of it. I would I wouldn't want to say that like this movie could be remade because I feel like it's in a way kind of past that point because it's more important now as an influence than let's take the story and remake it. But I do mm-hmm. like what almost, you know what I want? Cause we'll talk about this with the close encounters with close encounters. Steven Spielberg was allowed two years later to go back to his movie and re-edit it and add things and take away things and essentially give a revised version of his movie. That's kind of what I would have liked to see with this one. Yeah. Because the idea is so good. The elements are so good. Restern is so good. The sounds are great. Um, other than, but if, and if you took out the Joan Baez music, it would be so much better. I agree with that. I mean, maybe I was being a little too hard on that, but I, 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 I did not enjoy that. Oh, aspect it took me of it. out. Cause I was, I was into it. And then all of a sudden it's, I feel like I'm, you know, at summer camp and they're telling me about butterflies kind of thing. Yeah. It, so it, it, like, it really is a case where just tonally it shifts in a way that was just very much of its time. Mm-hmm. And so I do feel like this movie could be recut in a couple of different ways to give you the exact same uh, meat of it, just with a couple of tweaks that would have made it work better for an audience today that has seen um, the effects of this movie, I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's about everything I got. Yeah, I mean, I I pretty much dumped my opinion in early on. <laughs> I think we both expressed that we found the robots adorable, which I think is the most important thing. The robots are really are really great. <laughs> Do you like how I just segued into that again? <laughs> talking about the robots. I mean, they're really cute. Their names are Huey and Dewey. Um, you did mention the robot, so I'm going to start talking about it again. No, yeah. um, the, yeah, the robots are oh fascination. I, I can't wait till you watch Wally now. Cute robots. Bruce Dern is fucking fantastic. He really, really is. He is acting by himself for most of this movie. And he's, and I never had any, I never had any issue with him. I never thought he was overselling it. I never, he was great. Like, like you said, it's the pacing. It was the music. And for me, the message was too in the forefront. A little subtler. But, but like you pointed out, it could just be a reflection of the time and a reflection of the fact that it, it's not something anybody had really been addressing. Yeah, I mean, I just think uh-huh. this is a, a very... And a, you can say this for a lot of movies, of a lot of sci-fi movies of this era. Uh-huh. And it, 
happens when you're, whenever you're trying to make a movie about the future, you can only do it with the materials of the present. So yeah. even if, you know, Logan's Run, similar thing. It looks the 70s, even though it's set in the year 3000 or something. Mm-hmm. And with this movie, it's that all the other elements of soundtrack and score and dialogue are kind of restricted by the time period. Um, but, you know, the, but again, there's enough meat in Bruce Stern and that character who really is a very 70s character because he's kind of a dick, but really earnest. Um, yeah. Does things that you don't necessarily approve of by any means and ends in a place where you're like, oh, oh, okay. Um, so it's, I mean, it's it's way worth a watch, I'd say. But are you about ready to grade it? Uh, yeah, you go first, though, because I still need to kind of think. Okay. Um, so quality of movie... Um, I'm wavering between a 6.75 and a 7. Okay. So I'm going to go 7. Quality of movie. Yeah, because I think okay. it, um, it, it, yeah. I'll, I'll go 7. Okay. We, we established not- my, my ratings mean nothing because I have no consistency whatsoever. I'm going 6. Okay. Yeah. All right, and uh, quality of life improved upon by this movie. Um, I'm gonna, I'll probably go go a little higher and say seven point two five. And again, so much of it is just I like now seeing like, okay, this is where so many of these things that I'm familiar with from other movies and television come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that. Not to say that you have more of a connection with that, that or, or more to to relate back to that, but I, I think that's why my score isn't necessarily higher. Sure. I'm going to go probably like a, like a six, 6.5. Yeah. I hear you. And really that 0.5 is because of the robots. Oh God. I mean, they're really cute. Everything. They are really, really cute. They were playing poker and they, they were, were holding, poker the, and holding it in their little, hands. the little cards and their little clampy hands. And it was really cute. And I think at one point, one of them was like, he didn't either. He either didn't understand, or he was going to cheat. I'm well, just going to shut up. Started with him not understanding, and then I think very quickly they were cheating with each other. So cute. It so was, I'm always they were st- talking to each other, and Bruce couldn't understand. And Bruce yelled at them. It was, <laughs> it was great. Really cute. Um, robots playing poker, folks. You can never go wrong with it. Uh, all right. So that was our thoughts on Silent Running. We will take a quick break and come back and talk about Close Encounters of the Third Kind, made by some dude named Steven Spielberg. The year 2000 The distant future The year 2000 The distant future The distant future It is the distant future The year 2000 We are robots The world is quite different ever since the robotic uprising of the late 90s There is no more unhappiness Affirmative We no longer say yes Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affer- uh, affirmative. Unless we know the other robot really well. There is no more unethical treatment of the elephants. Well, there's no more elephants, so... Uh, but still, it's good. There's only one kind. We're back to talk about a little movie that um, many people have seen, <laughs> people have heard of. We, I had never seen it. 
I had never seen it. All right, and that would be 1977's, not Star Wars, but its other big science fiction hit of that year, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, first thing I should ask you, which version did you watch? That is a super duper good question. Um, so apparently, what is there, three versions? There are three known versions. And then there are apparently, because this is what I was trying to figure out, and then there are a bunch of other, like, cobbled together versions that used to air on TV. Okay, so the first version is, like, what got released in theaters, and then there's a second version in 1980. Yes, very interesting. Probably one of the few times this happened, Steven Spielberg didn't really want to release this movie in 77. He felt that there were things he still wanted to do with it. The studio said, no, you have to release it. So he did. It made so much money that he was like, they were like, you need to do something else. He's like, okay, how about you give me $2 million and I recut the movie a little bit and re-release it two years from now. And they did. And so that is the second disc, I think, if you were going by the um, special edition, is the, I think that is technically the director's cut where he took out some scenes, he added in some scenes, and he extended the ending a little bit with the um, infamous mothership scene. Okay, and then there's one in 1998. Yeah, that one I'm unclear of, and I think it was kind of a like, oh, we're putting on DVD, we need to add new stuff to it, and I think that's kind of a mix of both films. I okay. think Spielberg has said the second version is his definitive version. There is, what I, from what I read, I can't, I'm scrolling through Wikipedia right now and I cannot find where I read it, but, so I might be wrong, but I read that 1980s had a scene of them in the mothership. Yes, and you can, I watched that on YouTube, because I watched the theatrical cut. Okay, I didn't see them in the mothership, but I saw additional footage, so I think I watched the 1998 one. Um, because I had a disc of this movie, okay. so I don't know. <laughs> the, um, whatchamacallit, the mothership scene, you can watch that on, I watched it on YouTube because I was really curious. And you just type in, I think, Close Encounters, alternate ending. It's, mm-hmm. You can watch, like, it's about, the, it's just the ending, it just goes on longer and you see, it doesn't really change anything, or does it? I don't know. It's really, um... You just, you see a little, you see when, uh, you know, kind of spoiler alert, I guess. Although I feel like this is a movie that you, the um, ending isn't so much a spoiler as much as the experience is worth experiencing, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because I knew how this movie ended, but it didn't take anything away from watching it. Like, I knew it ended with aliens. Um, and, and I'm not even going to say spoiler alert because you know that, in the, that they introduce aliens you never see them until the last scene okay yes there you go uh, but the final after that scene kind of keeps going keeps going in the 1980 version you see what the ship looks like inside but only very briefly and not specifically okay so 1998 Spielberg recut Close Encounters again for what would be collector's edition to be released on home video and Laserdisc this version of the film is something of a re-edit of the original 1997 release with some elements of the 1980 special edition but omits the mothership interior okay. scenes so, it's- so I did see the 98 one because okay, I saw, so saw some of the versions then. That's okay I saw something that had extra footage, and I read about the extra footage, but I never saw the thing, the mothership thing. Okay, I now did you get yours from Netflix or other? I got mine from from okay. everyone. Everyone gave it to me. Oh, how nice! Of you. <laughs> they wanted me to. There you go. It. 
Uh, I had mine from Netflix, so I just figured I'd go with the first disc and yeah. shoot my luck, and that was a theatrical cut. Um, so, I mean, you kind of have to be Steven Spielberg to be allowed to recut your own film two years after making it. Yeah. Uh, but, hey, credit to him. Now, um, Gentleman's Guide just did an episode where they did an early Spielberg film. So it was pretty interesting to hear them talking about, like, young Spielberg, knowing that we were going to be covering that as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 77, this is this was his follow-up to Jaws. Which, in itself, is kind of awesome, because you have... He makes what is, you know, this kind of juggernaut uh, hit, and he, he probably could have made any movie in the world after that, and this is the movie he chose to do. Yeah. Uh, now, Christine, do you want to tell the fine people at home what this movie's about? Oh, geez. I don't even know what this movie is about. <laughs> um, it's harder than saying it's about Brewster and playing poker with robots. I'll- no, it, it is. It's it's about aliens. I mean, and it's it's about the um, Richard Dreyer character, but it's also about other stuff, like government and aliens and aliens communicating and aliens taking people and aliens dropping tankers places, and then I get confused. I don't think I should be, but I get a little confused. Uh, Uh, I had no idea what was going on with the government at any point in this movie. Okay, good. I didn't either. At one point, I was like, I need to pause this and have the internet tell me what is going on yeah. and I'm glad I did at the end and we're not spoiling this so I'm just going to say at the end when everybody comes out of the mothership I wouldn't have any clue what was going on if I hadn't had read something okay okay, I can see that because they returning all these people I didn't I know that there's a little okay so spaceships come Richard Dreyfus sees them and oh my god it's crazy that's he starts building things out of mashed potatoes we all have seen that <laughs> you've, but there's, you've seen you have UHF You've seen that. Exactly. Um, there's, there's also a little boy, unfortunately, named Barry. Um, <laughs> yeah, no little boy should be... No offense if you've named your son Barry. But it's just one of those like names that like, you can't imagine a child having. Exactly. It should jump to like your 40-year-old uncle. Yeah. Uncle Barry. Ah. Um, <laughs> but but a, little, Barry. A, a little boy gets taken. And I'm like, okay, so they took him. That I was clear on. Mm-hmm. Everybody else I was not aware of. <laughs> That uh, other people had been this, getting you know, this movie. You think about the opening of this movie. It's very kind of the way The Exorcist does the same thing. It opens in a foreign land with um, foreign characters talking about things that you really don't understand yet and have no context yet for. Uh, and in this case, it's um, Francois Truffaut, the, the famous director. It's so fascinating. I didn't expect that either. Yeah. And I I mean, he, you know, Truffaut acted mostly in his own films. And Spielberg was like, I kind of want Truffaut to be in my movie. And Truffaut was like, we, I will be in your movie. (laughs) That's exactly how it happened. Absolutely. But I mean, that's the opening of the movie is you don't know who these, you don't recognize these people. You don't really understand what their jobs are. There's Bob Balaban with a beard and hair. Yeah. Looking real sexy. Hell Yeah. But so it's very, uh, it's hard to get a grasp on what's going on in that opening scene. And you know that, okay, they're investigating a plane that went down in like World War One or World War Two. Okay, and now Richard Dreyfuss and his family. I get this. I understand. This is Spielberg. This is a family man. This is yep. his wife. This is his kids. All of the, and it's very, very deliberate, I think, on Spielberg's uh, side of, I'm going to, you are going to be introduced to this movie and you are going to connect to the story via the everyman, not via the government. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's something that, you know, many movies have learned good lessons from. This was my biggest problem with the movie Super 8, which is definitely inspired by this is, I think, I mean, other movies as well, but I think this is one of the earlier movies that probably inspired that movie. Um, with Super 8, when it's the kids, it's awesome. And you're seeing it through their point of view. As soon as it switches to the government, you're like, I, I don't, I don't know who these people are or what they do. I can't connect to them. Mm -hmm. And this movie does that. And for the most part, it, it really, you could, you could have made this movie, I think, without the government uh, and really just had Dreyfus be the driving force of all of the scenes. And I think it would have worked just as well as it does with them in it. Because um, it, I don't think it's a fault of the movie. I just think, for me, that, that that is the compelling part. Even though Richard Dreyfus bumped into me and didn't say I'm sorry, or excuse me, at a, our convention. But that's neither here nor there, as you would say. <laughs> um, I agree that's neither here nor there. But I also agree with everything you just said. Do um, I really do. Um, if you... Okay, every time they were doing stuff with the government, I was like, man, I, I wish they... I, I wish they'd go back and hang out with Terry Gar. Right? <laughs> I was distracted by the Farrah Fawcett poster. Did you catch yeah, that? Yeah, I did catch it. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, I that did. Just, that was like, oh, wow, that's cool. Um, but yeah, I really didn't understand anything that was going on. There was the, the stuff with the, the, the hand signals and the, the tones, and all of it was kind of cool. Right. And maybe and this was on... play at the end. It's all very important to the end. Maybe it was on purpose to have this cold kind of detachment to those scenes, but I felt like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and I just kind of sat there and waited for them to show me something that I understood again. And maybe that's on purpose. And, or maybe I'm dumb. No, I, I think that is that, that was very deliberate on Spielberg's part. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see it in a lot of his movies. He is, he tends to tell stories more through the everyman character. And he even talks about that with, um, I don't know if, if you, I, you probably didn't watch any of the special features. There's a documentary that's probably very long because it only is like half of the documentary on the first disc and he talks about casting Richard Dreyfus and how originally he wanted Steve McQueen and Steve McQueen didn't want to do it because he didn't think he could cry uh -huh. and then like he went through everybody in Hollywood at the time he asked Al Pacino and Jack Nicholson and nobody wanted to do it and Richard Dreyfus really wanted it and for Spielberg like Spielberg kind of admitted that when he puts Richard Dreyfus in a movie he's essentially making that character him <laughs> like that Richard Dreyfus is the Steven Spielberg stand-in and which makes sense he like he's kind of a short like every fuzzy every guy yeah and so you know you wouldn't have Richard Dreyfus playing Schindler but you could have him play um Roy in this movie and so I think it is very very deliberate that this is a guy that anybody at home is supposed to kind of say like okay yeah I I understand what this guy's going through He's got a family. He doesn't. They don't really understand him. He doesn't really understand them. Um, he's ha seemingly happy, but clearly there's something missing in his life. Um, you know, he gets fired from his job, and you know he lives in a very blatant uh, suburban '70s home mm -hmm. with the '70s neighbors and everything that comes with that. Um, and I, I do think it's incredibly deliberate on Spielberg's part. Um, yeah, and this is this might turn into a bit of a rant, so I'll try to reel it in. Um, this is, I mean, you just said the Richard Dreyfus character does have want for something. They're, the family is clearly not perfect. There's there's clearly strain, but um, 
there are also a lot of, like, I feel like he's picking on the kids not being mean to them. There's the scene where him and Terry Gar kind of embrace when they're looking for the spaceships. I feel like there is um, a, a normalcy related to domesticity that is no longer shown to us in films that I desperately want to see again. I want to see a messy house and kids misbehaving but not lighting pets on fire, <laughs> just kind of yelling at each other. Yeah. I want to see that shit. I want to see two people that clearly love each other but are maybe stressed out by bills, mm-hmm. not not a broad that's fucking her tennis coach or something, yeah. and a dude that is, like, and that's so absent in, in, in media today. It just doesn't exist. And it's so nice to see that. And I think it really, you know, Steven Spielberg is one of those directors, and, I mean, the, the GGTMC talked about this, who in a way doesn't get the respect from the cinema community that he deserves because he got so successful. Yeah. Uh, I think it's so easy to look at, because, I mean, the old complaint logic in Spielberg is that, like, oh, look at AI. You could see where that movie was Kubrick's and where it became Spielberg's. Uh Uh-huh. But guess what? He made that entire movie. And sure, it might feel like it gets schmaltzy, schmaltzy. I I can't do my my proper (laughs) schmaltziness today. Uh, it might feel like it gets very um, uh, gushy at the end, but I believe that actually was was in Kubrick's original draft of it. But all the other stuff that's in there, Steven Spielberg is doing that. He built that world. He's He made Gigolo Joe and all that stuff. And I think it's become very easy because he's won Oscars, because he's made some of the most successful movies of all time, to kind of dismiss him as being... Um, and Ron Howard, I think, gets the same bad rap in a way of just, oh, because their movies are really pleasing to the mainstream, they're not good. They're not good, yeah. They lose any type of, um, they're not relevant in a, mm. for creativity anymore because they're so, because, they're yeah, such, they're they're such so fodder. Wide yeah. pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's a shame for two reasons. One, okay, it's really hard to make a movie like Jurassic Park that's going to appeal to everybody and actually be good. Yeah, And then the other side of that is, but look at most of his movies, and they're not nearly as sugar-coated as you want to think they are. Correct. I agree. I recently rewatched all the Indiana Joneses. Mm-hmm. And, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I forgot. I, I always think that they're, like, I mean, of course, I mean, they're not, you know, they're not breaking down any crazy walls like mm-hmm. like what i mean i guess eating at monkey brains <laughs> but that's 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 different but yeah there, there's they're about nazis <laughs> like we kind of forgot that didn't we <laughs> yeah those are those are movies about nazis um and i won't watch et but et is a movie that he did oh, I love ET. so that's a thing yeah um the, also for I mean, me this movie is fucking poltergeist this oh, this is poltergeist. This is the other side of poltergeist. It's it's insane. This is like, poltergeist if the geists didn't want to kill you. It's nuts. I every it's time scary. like fucking poltergeist, man. Yeah. This is this is poltergeist. It looked like poltergeist. It felt like poltergeist. Yep. It was awesome the, in that regard. I mean, nobody does suburbia quite as well as Spielberg did. Yep. He he nails it. He knows how to do the Make it look like your neighborhood, like the people who live in your neighborhood, like your family, like your, you know, your living room with toys on the ground and, you know, China that doesn't match. And the opening is, 
it, like this movie is really it's it's a great tone because it gets really fucking scary. Yeah. The opening scene and then the abduction, like it's shot like a horror movie where if you didn't know going into it that this movie is ultimately like a happy movie, mm-hmm. um, which in itself is arguable, and we'll get there. Um, you would you might be watching this if you're watching this with your kids. You might be like, you know what, guys, let's let's watch something else because it gets really scary. Yeah, um, it's very tense. Yeah, and yet at the same time, it's all like the opening scene. I laughed out loud. There's a great shot where Richard Dreyfus is driving, and he's pulled over, and he's reading a map, and a car comes behind him, and he just kind of waves the car around him, and then it hap- The same thing happens a minute later. And he does the same thing. He has the map in front of his face. He waves it around him. The camera stays exactly where it is, but you see behind him that it's actually a spaceship. And you see the lights, and the lights rise, and they turn blue. And it's such a great shot, because it comes in this scene that's still kind of scary, but it's really funny. Yep. Um, And it's just one of those, like, signs of, again, like, if we were doing Make make or Breaks, like, that might be mine, because it was instantly, like, this sign of, like, I can see why anybody would realize how special a filmmaker Steven Spielberg is. Mm-hmm. Um, and right after that, the, after he loses power in the truck and stuff, when, when like, the radio comes on, the lights come back on, and he screams because um, he's so startled by the noise again, yeah. that is amazing as well. Yeah. Because it is very realistic. Mm-hmm. And it, like, punctuates that very tense what-the-fuck-is-going-on yeah. moment by, like, yeah, that's probably something I would do. Yep. Yep, I hear you. Um, the, uh, so yeah, you get, um, Richard Dreyfuss's character is, again, looking, it's, this also makes it a good comparison to Silent Running, because you have a similar, not similar, really, but you also have a very imperfect hero, and in this case, Richard Dreyfuss makes a choice in the very final scene of this movie that you would not normally see a, a father character making in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. And Steven Spielberg has said, and this, I guess, um, I, I won't spoil it. Steven Spielberg has said if he made this movie a- after having kids and after being a father, he would not have had that character make that choice. But see, I liked it. I do too. Yeah. I can understand it. Cause I'm watching it. And I'm thinking the same thing. I'm like, this guy's a dad. Like, I understand that the whole he's alienated and, you know, now he's seen something that is kind of bigger than anything um, and he doesn't have the connection to his family that he has with whatever this thing is. But still, he's got kids. Like, he's not supposed to just do this. But at the same time, I love that this movie does have him make that choice because it kind of makes it transcend something. Yeah. I think that's a fascinating kind of thing for Spielberg to admit, too, saying, yeah, if I made this movie 10 years later, it would have ended completely differently. See, I never thought once, he has kids, what is he doing? I thought, yeah, this is fucking awesome. Let's do this. Yeah. (laughs) Let's go. Come on. I don't know. I never, maybe that shows that I don't have kids, but. (laughs) I mean, I, I wouldn't do that to my cats is all I'm saying. Yeah, but was, was it explicitly said that he couldn't come back? No, but... But maybe, I mean, come on, this is a great opportunity. Okay. Yeah, you're right. This I is know, like if you right. had kids and were like a backup singer, mm. and like somebody who is a famous singer now, I don't know because I'm not very smart. Catherine um, Perry. Katy Perry was like, come be my backup singer. You'd be like, yeah, oh my God, absolutely. And then you would come and see your kids in like two months. 
Like, uh-huh. and then your wife would be like, that's, or, or your husband, I don't know what you are in this scenario, <laughs> but um, go, yeah, do it. Awesome. That's so cool. Go be with Anne slash Katy Perry. I mean. They <laughs> <laughs> okay, one in the same. Uh, now, are but, they? However, there is something else that happens uh, that involves a kiss. Yeah. That I had a big problem with. Just because really? it felt like it totally didn't need to be there. So you have Richard Dreyfuss is married to Terry Garr, who's adorable. Amazing She's in this. so good in this. She really... And that's another reason why it's worth watching the documentary on this. Because she's talking about... He talks about how he cast her, which was... He saw her in a commercial... Even though she had done a couple of things, including the conversation. Um, yep. He had seen her on a, like a commercial for coffee. And he just he's like, that is the perfect suburban woman that I need. And she's really funny in the documentary. She talks about how she wanted the other part. Um, which was smart on her part because Melinda Dillon got nominated for an Oscar for it. Yeah. Um, Melinda Dillon, who you would probably recognize most from A Christmas Story. I, that is what I recognize that her from. all I will ever see her from. I honestly didn't go through and see it. What else, though? So there could uh, be other things. It doesn't even matter. Christmas, mom and A Christmas Story. But she, her character is a single mom whose son, Barry, is a <laughs> And oh, so, Barry. Because Melinda Dillon has also seen the spaceship, her and Richard Dreyfus kind of, they form a connection because they're both looking for this. She's looking for her son. He's looking to find this again because he's, like, been empty since then. But there's a scene, a moment, it gets very tense at the end. They're, they're trying to get to where they know the spaceship is and where she thinks her son is. And they kiss. Yes. And I, that bothered me because it just took, it was like, I couldn't watch it without being like, oh, why'd we have to do that? Okay, but here's a question for you, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I don't that I disagree with you, but did you find it to be like a particularly sexy kiss? No. Or does that not even matter to you? No, it's not. A, it's not an overly sexy kiss. It could have very much been more of a just thank you kiss. Yeah, um, it, it seemed like more of a kiss of kinship. Yeah, but I guess that could have been done via a hug. Okay. <laughs> or a firm handshake. So you wanted like an embrace or a of man kinship. Hug. Like the handshake hug, my favorite thing. Yeah. A, a kinship oh. embrace rather than rather than a smooch. I, an embrace I think A would have been more powerful because to me that's more affectionate. Uh-huh. Way. And I'll remember that. Just, oh, why do you think I owe yellow? Plus it's easier to pinch your ass if I do that. <laughs> <laughs> Giving away all my secrets in my game here. But with a kiss on the lips is very hard for that not to be construed as romantic. Uh-huh. I understand. I agree and with you. I just don't think that's what either of those characters needed in that moment. And so it, that bothered me. That's one of those things where I'm like, ooh, if I could do an edit, I would just take that one moment out. Um, I don't disagree with you. It didn't bother me, I think, as much as it bothered you. I did find... I was kind of surprised by it, though. Because it didn't feel like that's what their relationship was going to. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, we have a very young Lance Henriksen in a... Can, can we talk about that real fast? We can. When did he show up? I, I saw know, him. I just the... remember him at the end with a, like, well, yeah, I didn't notice him until the end. Me neither. I think it's because we weren't paying attention to the government part. I don't know. All of a sudden he's looking up and I'm like, it's motherfucking Lance Henriksen. And then the credits roll and he's billed pretty close to the top. Yeah, I, but I don't remember I seeing don't remember him. Either. No, I really, for me, I think it was like one of those, I kind of tuned out during all the government stuff. Because the Richard Dreyfus, Terry Garr, Melinda Dillon, all of that stuff to me was just 
sucked me in and I was there yeah. for it. When Richard Dreyfus was watching Days of Our Lives and tearing up his neighbor's garden, I was in it. Yeah. Um, but when the government was talking about stuff I didn't really understand, I was kind of not as in it. Yep. And I guess that meant as a result, I left a little bit of black pen with this. The... Again, this movie, my cut was two hours, 15 minutes. I don't know how long yours was. Um, so close to that, I think. Yeah. I can't really remember either. Uh, again, it moves. It, there's a lot going on. Like we said, we both agreed that there was a whole subplot that we didn't really get. But yeah. it moves so well. And the last, what, 15 minutes, which are really just kind of a sensory experience of, here's a spaceship, here's a lot of sounds, here's a lot of lights. Yeah. Um, it was... I mean, it really was just, like, sensory wonderment. It, it was it was very compelling at that point, even if you weren't really into that aspect of it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's... it's I would find it hard... I, I would find it hard to believe that you... If you would sat there through this movie, that you wouldn't be really touched uh, by the ending, whether you could really explain it or not. Mm-hmm. Because um, it's it's really just beautiful. The there's a lot of lights. They're really pretty. There's so we meet the aliens kind of, and again they're in like soft focus. We don't we see their shapes. We don't get a really good look at them, but we see enough of them to know that like okay they're aliens because they're little and have big heads. Um, but they're they're friendly and they're you know they're not gonna hurt you. Yeah. And they're kind of cool looking and they look like like what will eventually become ET. They do. Yeah. In a good way. In a good way. Yeah, they were, there was, and they, um, I guess it was referred to as, like, the marionette of, of an alien or whatever. That really tall, weird-looking thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That fucking freaked me out. I did not like that. It, I, it was sort of, that's the one that really reminded me of E.T. because it had the very long neck. The one with the crazy long legs and, like, just the real scary one? But oh they, my I god, I'm scary just thinking about it. It's but that's what I love about it is that it like they should be scary cuz at the end of the day they're not of this world. Yeah. But it's done in a way where like they're scary cuz they're different but yet you know it's going to be okay. Uh-huh. I think the the tone he's able and the mood he's able to achieve at that point in the movie based on everything we've seen and using the sound and using the visuals is just kind of really magical in a Science, science is good, and this other world is to be explored and embraced, not feared, kind of way. Yeah. Like, we, we don't know exactly what they're saying, but we know that they want to be able to communicate with us. And that's enough for us to know that we, like, this is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the score, which is a John Williams score. Um, it is. I, I, I was surprised to see that. Did it not sound like John Williams to you? It did. I, when, I think it, and, um, I either saw it when I was looking at IMDb. I don't think this had extensive beginning credits, right? No. I feel then, like... No, 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 it doesn't because there's no yeah, um, cast listed in the beginning. Then I must have seen it on IMDb, and I didn't know that. I felt like that was more something more people would be like, hey, this. And you'd be like, oh, neat, interesting. But I never... I, I think for me, at a certain point, I looked it up because I was... I figured it was, but I wasn't sure when that relationship started, but then I remember yeah. that was going up Jaws. And there is, like, there's a lot of um, sound homages in it. Do like, you feel like this whole movie sounds like Lost? Oh, God, yes. It's fucking Absolutely. crazy. In a and, good way. And, I, and I distracting. Really liked, um, 
what's uh what's that man's name who does the music for Lost? Um, oh, it's Ray not Bear it. McCreary, is it? What is it? It's not Bear McCreary. No, he does no, he no. does um BSG music. No, um, this guy because I Michael Giacomo. something very Italian. Is that is that it? Yes, yeah. that guy. Because I remember because he also did the music to Super Eight and to Let Me In, and I love his music on Lost. And I remember thinking with Let Me In that oh no, like I. I hear the music and I shouldn't hear the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm paying it like the music is distracting me because it's so orchestrated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think this, um, it's a different challenge for John Williams because it's not like where's Jaws. It's so much about like building the tension and Star Wars. It's so much about just being epic and having these signatures for each character with this one. It really, it has to do different things at different times. And some of it is just tension and mood, and some of it, especially when you get to the finale, is just, all right, take us to a different planet, John Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of, uh, um, like, callbacks and homages within the music. And I thought at first it was just me hearing things. I'm like... <laughs> Are you talking about like the little When You Wish Upon a Star thing? That and Jaws. Yeah. I you thought the... also hear a moment where it's like, is that supposed to be Jaws? And then it's like, yeah, that was supposed to be Jaws. I will admit I did not hear the Jaws thing, mm-hmm. but I did hear the When You Wish yep. Upon a Star thing, and I was like, I'm going nuts. And then you nope. read, and you see, like, no, that actually was yeah, a thing. because that was apparently for Spielberg. Like, he wanted to have that song as, like, used really heavy in the movie. Because for him... Like, because Spielberg ended up... This is Spielberg's script. Um, Paul Schrader actually wrote a draft of this movie that Spielberg thought was terrible. So Spielberg just essentially rewrote it all, and this is his script. And I think that was one of his big influences. Was, and there's, like, in the very beginning, you see, like, he has a little Jiminy Cricket music box. Yeah. Um, and they talk about Pinocchio. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's, you, could, you could see all these things fitting in. And again, now I'm thinking of AI, and there's clearly a theme in Spielberg's work. Um, but all of these things like were kind of big inspirations for Spielberg. And I, mm-hmm. he's able to kind of like, I, I could like hear him like in the room with John Williams being like, Hey Johnny, can you just, just a couple notes when you wish up? Okay. Yeah, that's good. That's, yep, right that's, all, that's all, it's all you need. It's all you need. And it, it's nice. And it's not distracting. It's just kind of like, if you hear it, you're like, was that okay? So yeah, I, I dug that aspect of it. Me too. Yeah. Um, I really dug it. Uh, me too. Yeah, I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I knew it would be a good movie because of its reputation and it being Spielberg. Like, it, I knew I wasn't going to be watching Supergirl. Uh-huh. Uh, but <laughs> I didn't think I would um, enjoy it as much. I guess I assumed, again, like, that it would be the kind of movie that I'd be like, oh, great, I get that reference now, as opposed to really enjoying the movie. yeah. But I really enjoyed the movie. I really did, too. I didn't expect it either. Yeah. Uh, do you have any more to say? I don't think so. I just really wanted to scream something about the music sounding like Lost. Oh, yeah. yeah. Clearly, I, I didn't really know this, and I, I only briefly read about it, but apparently J.J. Abrams is, like, a huge Spielberg fan. I guess I'm kind of slow to the, <laughs> Somebody to the gate on that. Somebody didn't watch Super 8, did you? I, no, I totally... <laughs> I guess I just never really, like, thought about it. Um, but, yeah, wow. Whole mackerel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is a great movie to watch for the whole... It has influenced a lot of filmmaking, henceforth. Yeah. But it's also just really good and really touching in 
a very unique, hard to pinpoint way. Mm -hmm. And I think it makes choices that you don't expect this kind of movie to make. Agreed. Yeah. All right. So uh, what are you going to grade it? Um, Quality of film. Yeah. That's how we do it. Uh, 8.5. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go the exact same. Yeah. Yeah. Quality of enjoyment of film. Quality of life. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I'm going to just stick with 8.5. I'm going to go a tiny hair lower to an 8.25 just Mm -hmm. because I did really tune out for the uh, government stuff and hearing you say the same thing makes me feel like it wasn't just me. No, no, absolutely. And I was paying attention. It wasn't a case of... um, well, you, I watched it in too many sittings, or yeah. I was doing something else, or I kept looking at my phone, or I was tired. I really was in it, and I was compelled. And I didn't wander away when the government stuff happened, but I could. There was there was something keeping me from connecting, mm-hmm. and really getting engaged with it. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. So I mean, but for me, I think my my surprise at how much I truly enjoyed it um, as a film makes up for any issue I had with that. Yeah, I would agree, hundred percent. All right, so that was our take on Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Now, before we tell you what we're going to be covering when next we meet, uh, we would like to give you some recommendations that you might find on the old Instant Watch, wouldn't we, Christine? Yes, we would. All right, do you have one? I do. It is a tell me. It is a film from 2012. I believe if you search for it, it is um, under its American title, which is The Wall. Um, it's, I think it's German title is Die Wand. Clearly I didn't say that in an accent. Die Wand, probably. Yeah. But it's about a wall. It's fucking crazy. It's really good. Um, if you have issues with animal violence and just animal grossness, you might not want to watch it. Um, Might not or definitely not? Like, what kind of animals are we talking about? Are we talking about, like... This is or I don't want to I don't want to give too much away, but basically it's about a woman who kind of gets trapped on this piece of um, uninhabited like farmland, like a valley. Um, so the only things she has to en- interact with is a dog, a cat, then a kitten, then a bull, and a calf, and like in life happens to these animals. Okay, she's so, gonna eat one or more, isn't she? No, it's not that, it's not mean, it's not a mean movie, but it's it's a sad movie when all you have are animals whose lives seem to be very delicate. Um, it, it was very upsetting. I, I cried a bunch of times. It's amazing, though, and I really think you would like it, and I want you to watch it. Okay, can you convince me that the animals are played by puppets? No, it looks oh. really awful and real. Okay. I know, I'm really selling this. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Um, my recommendation does not include any animal violence. <laughs> uh, this is a movie, I am trying to remember who told me to watch it in the first place. I know that the reason I watched it is because it's the same director that did Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh-huh. And after I watched that movie, I really liked the direction of it and I wanted to see what else the guy did. And he did this movie from 2008 called The Escapist. The Escapist? Wait, what's that about? Uh, It's about a prison break headed by Brian Cox. Our our good old Brian Cox. Huh. Uh, And a lot of other people in this movie, including Dominic, what's his name? 
skinny guy used to date Amanda Seyfried. Uh, I don't. Nona Cooper, maybe. Yes. Okay. Uh, and you mean Tony? You know Tony Stark's dad. Tony Ned's... Stark's dad. Tony Stark's okay. dad. Yeah. All right. Not uh, in the flashbacks though, because then it's John Slattery. I think. No, we're we won't about talk Tony about Stark's that. Dad in Ca- in real time, Captain America. And Captain America. Okay, good. Yes. Thank you for clarifying okay, that. I got I got you covered. <laughs> um, so the Escapist is about Brian Cox is a is in prison for life in England or somewhere over there where they talk funny, and he. Uh, he finds out his daughter is, is a drug addict and is in a very bad place, so he's, he's going to break out and he needs some help. So he has Dominic, um, Tony Stark's dad, uh, Davos Seaworth from uh, Lord of uh, uh, Game of Thrones. I forget his name in real life. He's been in a thousand things you'd recognize him from, but I know him as Davos Seaworth. Um, also, okay, so there's this actor in the movie and I'm like, this guy looks so familiar. Who is that? Kind of looks like Joseph Fiennes, but that can't be Joseph Fiennes. Fucking Joseph Fiennes. Is it Joseph Fiennes? It's Joseph Fiennes. But he's playing... It's, it's here, This movie was, was really good. And part of it was, it felt like such a, like, repertory movie. Because uh-huh. Joseph Fiennes has this, like... It's playing, like, a kind of like a thuggy guy in prison who's just, like, a lo- you know, one of the gang who's going to be breaking out. And you're watching this movie that Brian Cox is the star of, and you're just thinking to yourself, once you realize it's, it's Joseph Fiennes, you're like... Who would have made this movie with Brian Cox as the main role and not Joseph Fine? Like, Joseph Fine's role in this movie, he would be like seventh build kind of thing. Huh. Um, and it's just, it's that kind of movie where, no, because this movie is Brian Cox's character story. Like, it just feels like the kind of movie that, like, you probably wouldn't see in America, maybe. Yeah. That is just, like, no, this is the story. It's much more interesting if we focus on this 60-year-old dude in prison than if we focus on the young guys kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not in love with its ending. I still don't know how I feel about it, uh, but I won't spoil anything. But this is, if you're a prison movie fan, if you really like Brian Cox, which everybody does. Who uh, doesn't? Right? And if you're just kind of curious for a, a good, really well-done, really um, well-paced little prison break movie, uh, this is the one for you. Huh. And so, I think it might have been on one of the gents list a couple of years ago. Um, I don't. What know year is it from? It. Did you say? And I missed it. I think. Okay. Somewhere around there. Uh, it's fairly recent. I know it was on my queue before I bumped it up my queue. Mm-hmm. So I know people have talked about it, and I'm sorry if you were the one who told me to watch it, and I didn't remember you told me. Um, this that's an open uh, request to anybody that is the one that's like, no, Emily, I told you to watch it years ago. Uh, but it's, it, I think you'd enjoy it. It's good. It's a hmm. good man movie. There's like no yeah. female characters in it. Cause why would you have female characters in it? Um, yeah. And I, I'm curious for anybody to watch it and tell me if they, what they think about the ending. Hmm. Yeah. All right. There's also the dude from, uh, the Claire Danes TV show, Homeland. Oh, Damian Lewis is in yeah, it? he's in it. Oh. He's well, like the head prison. That's what badass. you leave with I'm when you sorry. tell me these Joseph things. Joseph Fiennes is a boxer. That's more important to me. All right. There's, oh, oh, WWE fans. There's a wrestler named, I think, Seamus, who's giant and has red hair. He's in it, if that means anything to you folks. It didn't to me, because it's like new wrestling. I don't know. But yeah. uh, I don't know. He's a dude. He's a thing. He's in it. Uh, yeah, so, again, just a good recommend that um, I was really... I just really enjoyed watching, even if I don't know if I was 100% satisfied. Oh, neat. Okay. Well, that's a good review. Yeah, that's what I'm going with. Uh, now, next time, we talked about what we're going to cover. Do you remember? No. Really? 
No. Okay, you recommended this movie because you'd watched it not too long ago and you wanted to talk about it, and that was Nicole Kidman in... Oh! Oh my god! Oh my god, I'm so excited! <laughs> Glad you made your night. Oh my god, this is so exciting! I completely forgot about this. Oh my god, are we doing Stoke and Shadow of a Doubt? No, I thought we were going to do Stoker and the Paperboy. Oh, you are doing Stoker and the Paperboy? Is that okay with you? Yeah. All right. Yay. Uh, I haven't seen Stoker. Or I haven't seen, seen either one of these movies. The Paperboy. No, but I've, you, you have? I haven't seen... No, I haven't. Is it still streaming? That'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, that's, what, that's part of why I picked it. The other reason was I just read the book, so I was really curious how they made a movie. Oh, so you'll have a lot of insight. I will. Like how when I was reading the book and I didn't know who was in the movie, I had cast John Cusack in one part, and then I found out that John Cusack is in the movie, but he's in a totally different part. Oh, yeah, I was going to say, did you, did you do it? Did you do it? But I guess you didn't. Uh, not quite. I sort of did it. Uh, yes, it is streaming. So The Paperboy is streaming, 2012. Uh, uh, Lee Daniels, The Paperboy. <laughs> And Stoker is directed by Park. Yep, you did it. Chan Wook. I, I guess so. I, Maybe Park Chan Wook. I think so. Yeah. All right. So it is a total double feature of Nicole Kidman. I am so excited. <laughs> Can you hide it? No, I right. clearly I can't. Okay, so I'm obviously going to be talking about Shadow of a Doubt a lot when I talk about Stoker. I should probably watch Shadow of a Doubt before because I don't think I've ever seen it. Oh my gosh, you would love it. Okay. I've okay. never seen it. Uh, all right. Oh, before I go, I did want to mention um, when last we did our show, we had special guest uh, Jason Fozzie Bear on here. Uh, and he has a podcast, Development Hell, which you can find in the iTunes store. And I guest starred on their last episode where we talked about the Oscars and gave our predictions. How fun. You should put a link up so I can I easily find it. should do that. And I, we never remember to do that, do we? No, I'm really terrible. I have, like this weird block when it comes to that. All right. But uh, I, will, I will put that on the Facebook page. Um, the Facebook page, of course, is always where we welcome you all to come and talk and give your opinions on such things as how cute those robots were. They were cute. Running, right? All right, Christine, do you have anything else to tell the people before we go? I don't think so. Are you sure? Um, nope. Protect the earth, folks. Protect the earth. Would you disagree? Oh, <laughs> I thought we were going to go out on that. <laughs> we can. I'll just cut it there. All right. So long, farewell, adieu. Well, guys, looks like it's time to pack it all in again. Now we are the stuff dreams are made of. Oh, that's beautiful, Crow. Shakespeare? Uh, no, Vermishave. Oh, well, I can... Huh? You know, guys, it always hurts Ow. to close it all up. Yeah. Strike the set. Ow. Wipe off the grease paint. Yeah. Uh, napkin up the blood and entrails Ouch. and move yeah. on to another town. Uh-oh. I smell a song. Tell me where does all the magic go? When the curtain falls to end the show Do the clowns always cry When they pack up the paper sky When the champagne is being poured And the lock 
is on the old stage door Will there still be a clown in the sky for me? Don't worry, buddy. There'll be other experiments. You really think so, mister? Yeah, take a verse. It'll cheer you out. Okay. When the Harlequin is on the pad and the whiskey haze surrounds his head. William Holden's coming over Come and he's got to fifth or two. If you don't cloud. stop doing your Anthony Newley, I'm going to throw you against the wall. He'll do it, too. Will there still be a clown in the sky? Don't no, crow. Still be a clown in the sky. Take it home, Joel. Tell me where is that clown in the sky for me? I love you, Tom Servo. I love you, Joel. I love you, Crow. You're not my real father. What do you think, sirs? It stinks. It stinks.